What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this long-awaited episode of the Dogs Football Podcast. I'm Nick Malone, usually joined by Noah Lurch. But him and I will be dividing episodes here. I will be talking about this season that we experienced that ended two months ago. And he, at some point, will have updates on recruiting, transfers, because we have new guys that we've added over the course since the season ended. I won't dive into all of that. I'll let Noah do that. And then him and I will have an episode at some point here, an off-season labeled episode, but we'll discuss the fits of all these guys and uh, how the team could potentially look. We know it was you know the early transfer period and high school period. There is a you know, a couple of those dates in February that could impact uh, the team for next season. So we'll talk about that as the offseason rolls along. And I'll mention this again, that again, at some point, Noah will post a, a episode talking about recruiting high school transfers and their impacts, what the, what are, you know, this past year's senior class, 2023 class, it did at the, at the very end of their high school seasons, along with, uh, like I said, transfers coming in. We have transfers going out. I'll talk about transfers going out, but Noah, when he when he when he does his, we'll talk about the guys that are coming in. And for my episode today, like I said, it'll be a season recap. We haven't talked about the Youngstown State defeat at the end of the season, devastating. Uh, I'll, I'll just dive in a little parts of that. Mainly the ending of how it happened. We knew that game really had no impact on our postseason hopes and our postseason chances. But we wanted to go out on top, and that we didn't. I'll just touch on that game, and I'll go through this game and this season of the ups and downs, the good moments. Because we know there's a lot of good and a lot of bad in this roller coaster season. It was a season of winning streaks and a season of losing streaks. So I'll dive into that. I'll dive into maybe reasons why. I mean, there are... You know, I won't make this episode too long. I'll try not to. I know I kind of can go on a tangent a little bit, but, you know, there are injuries that caused this season to happen. Some we didn't even have in that final game. I mean, a lot of it impacted this season, and there's no excuses by any means. It seemed like this was a ready-made season with some of the players that we're, lo- that we're losing that we could have. And speaking of losing players, I mean, after all this, I'll get a Nick Hill had an end-of-season press conference. I'll try to remember the things that he touched on, kind of the obvious kinds of things. And obviously the seniors gone. We made posts about them. Uh, there's just been a lot that has happened, so we apologize for taking this much time to uh, to recap. It was devastating, and as everybody knows, f- uh, basketball season's here, and SIU basketball is rolling this season. So kind of, you know, we like to, as people probably know, we push back episodes a lot, push back podcasts a lot. We try not to, and we apologize for it, but as long as we end up getting them in, it's all that matters for you guys to get our perspective and our opinions on the season, and Everything that has happened to this point, I mean, I, and I mentioned uh, players leaving in the portal or just surprises in general of players that had eligibility remaining and, and more of the coaching carousel on our team. One that happened just very recently that is a notable one and a couple other big notable ones as well. I'll dive into all that near the end. Uh, along with, you know, around the FCS, we'll talk about who won the championship, who won some awards, some players that we actually played this season. Um, maybe I'll try to dig up, if you guys would bear with me at that time, while I find them the final stats for the NFL Salukis. We know there are a couple of those guys we were keeping up with. Uh, and then, like I said, I'll touch on the people, like all the uh, 
the like I said, the, the carousel of everything going on, who's leaving and everything. I'll talk about even the seniors that have left already have already been included in a lot of these, you know, these camps or a lot of these games per se that I'll try to dive into and find as well. And then again, I'll touch on the podcast episodes we have coming up uh, later on. Noah's next one and then the next one with both of us at some point. So let's recap this season. But I, you know, and I might go ahead and just, I might end with Youngstown State instead of, you know, I'll just go through the whole games and end with that one for the most part. I mean, I'm not going to go through every single one, just in terms of the kind of season that this was. We know the hype. We were number nine. Incarnate Word at the start of the season was 14. We were excited for this season. A lot of players, um, you know, we were excited for in the portal that were coming in here. It was a new, another year of Nick Baker. We had Avante Cox. We had a healthy Deontay Cox. We had Ty Staniel. Jacob Garrett was healthy. Gonna, you know, we couldn't have. I mean, Jacob Garrett exceeded our expectations this year. I'll get to more of the stats and everything I'll dive through. But we were excited going into this year. Like I said, pick ninth to start the season, going on the road at Incarnate Word that, you know, is a consistent playoff team. We knew, you know, I think, well, if we didn't know beforehand, we knew of Lindsey Scott Jr., but the season that he would end up having in it. And, you know, that game against us catapulted everything. And, uh, and as we remember, cause I, I was at a Cardinal game and Noah was watching it and there was a big delay at the start of that game with weather and lightning and stuff. So I remember in the moment of that game, it was seemed like a warranted excuse for throwing off, you know, uh, you know, our, our players cause they're ready to go. I remember the post the team was making that they were ready to go. And, you know, that's really no excuse cause it, Incarnate Word had to deal with the same things. I think the only thing I added with that was the fact that Incarnate Word was at home. And they, you know, they're familiar with the place. They know what to do before games. It was kind of, So as the road team, that can kind of be, you know, against you in a way. But they had to deal with the same things. And if I just recall in that game of thinking about the quarters of what happened, it was a lot of special teams errors, you know, hiking, you know, the long snapping over Nathan Torney's head. Uh, a lot of stuff, but you know they were getting. I mean, two touchdowns in this first quarter when we when they were up twenty-two to nothing. It was a sixty-six-yard pass from Lindsey Scott. They got a safety on on that say on that uh, muffed long snap, and then a long fifty-five-yard touchdown. Just and then Lindsey Scott Lindsey Scott had the run that.
you know, when Lindsey Scott Jr. had that that run that he got the, you know, he got helicoptered in the air for, and they got the two-point conversion on that play. I mean, they were 22 nothing. You know, the worst, you know, could have happened, and then we we outscored them 16-7 to in the second quarter. So what does that score? 16. At halftime, we were only down by, you know, we were down by 13, but it was still manageable, and then they just and then they just rolled us. They, I think at the time, I remember hearing, um, you know, listening that it was the our biggest our biggest loss as a program, SIU football, in like a long time. I don't remember the exact date, but it was the most points we've given up. That was it, the most points we've given up in a long time. So unfortunate, you know, and our defense was awful in this game. Romir had a 55-yard run. Justin Strong, you know, was hot to start the year. This when we were good from field goals. Jake Bumgart made three in this game. When, and then in garbage time, Dayton Mitchell got a touchdown from Zach Zabrowski because we pulled all of our guys Lindsey Scott had 17 and 25, 391 and six touchdowns. I'll go ahead and mention him. I might mention the other person I was talking about, but Lindsey Scott did win the Walter Payton Player of the Year, uh, which is, you know, not surprising because he ended up having a phenomenal, and I mean phenomenal. Let me read his season. This season he had 60 total. I think that's, let's see here. That's 60 total touchdowns, eight interceptions, 4,600 yards. We know that he, uh, you know, transferred from Nichols. I mean, uh, you couldn't have had a better season. He had an all-time season in the FCS, which was incredible. So obviously that, and we, like I said, we were excited on our excited about our defense. Only scored twenty nine. I mean, twenty nine points is a lot, but the, like I said, a lot of garbage time in general. We were excited, and that game kind of made it feel like okay. I don't know. We don't know what kind of season this is going to be after losing like that. So, you know. Not the best start, clearly, and that was a game we would have liked to have. I think we predicted to win that game just because you never know. We, I think people were predicting a high-scoring game, and I think some of us had us winning, and, of course, that wasn't the case. Total blowout, so start at 0-1. Okay, so let's let's flip the script and, and turn it around. Our first home game of the season against SEMO, and, you know, we had the wheel for however many years in a row at that time. And we recall the last time we had SEMO at home was the COVID year. We beat them by a field goal on Halloween. Um, and then we won there at, at at third place last year that no one I were in attendance for. Um, that I, The whole bleacher situation, all that. We blew them out. First play from scrimmage, 99 yard or 90-something yard, Avante touchdown. So good times last season against SEMO. But it wasn't so much in this one. I mean, you know. They were going, and SEMO, and there were a lot of moments in the season, especially at home. When we weren't good at home, we were allowing too many easy plays, and we weren't, you know, weren't able to stop anything. Teams were just rolling downfield on us, and that's honestly what SEMO did in this game. We kicked it off with a field goal to start the game. And then, uh, let me think of uh, Paxton DeLorean, yeah, who was amazing in this game. But he hit Johnny King on a touchdown to start. So we were down 7-3. to three. Avante, 16-yard pass from Nick, 10-7. to seven. I mean, it was, just, it was back and forth. Johnny King had two touchdowns to start. Romir had a four. So Romir was getting these huge breakaway runs at the start of the season, which was a great sign. We know he's got the speed. He's, he's got the talent. And I'll mention, you know, the, even the offensive line, which was the start of the year. It was um, Sam Buck on the line. It was a lot of things. And then Jacob Koffel came in and started most of the year. But they were finding holes for Romir in this game. Their kicker, Seamus kicker, nailed a 50-yarder. 
uh, you know, this happened all in the third quarter. We were down 14 to 10 at half, so it was 17 all going into the fourth quarter. They hit another 45-yard field goal. Avante had a six-yard pass from Nick, four-point lead. Ryan Flournoy passed from Paxton DeLorean, so it was back. So we were down 27-24. Justin Strong had a touchdown, and then it was this one. It was fourth down, I'm pretty sure, trying to stop them on – whatever it was, we were on the two-yard line, and it took one stop. The stadium was loud, we recall, and it was a back-of-the-end-zone touchdown. I don't remember who the defender was. I think it might have been P.J. Johnson, but it wasn't really a broken defense. It was kind of just a, you know, you put it in a perfect place, and, of course, receiver knew exactly. I mean, he had probably five inches of room, a little more than that, probably half a foot of room or close to a foot of room, and got his got his one foot in, and, it was just a backbreaker because that's what it was, you know, and, you know, we knew they, we know we knew they had to score a touchdown because they couldn't tie with a field goal. And, um, that's all she wrote. And we thought we had all the momentum. I mean, they did the two minute drill right downfield. And that's whenever I mentioned they were just hitting these easy passes. Our corners had a down year this year, no doubt, especially started in that game. Could have started in the first game. We were allowed 64, but in this game for sure. And then, uh, you know, couldn't get that one stop, and then all of a sudden, and then next thing you know, they're they're climbing over to our side of the field. Their players are grabbing the wheel, and now they own it until next year. So, that was an excruciating loss, you know. And so, zero and two on the season, and we're thinking, oh, you know, worst case scenario, we thought, oh, we'd be two and zero before we go to Northwestern. And no one, I were actually talking about this game today, um, that. Uh, you know, how fun it was, how fun the experience was. And it's always fun watching SIU football or basketball on these trips against big teams that we get to go on. Um, always enjoy the fact that we stayed in Evanston. I mean, we got to Chicago that, uh, you know, the night before around evening. And it was just an all, we went to eat, stayed at a nice place in like Main Street, Evanston. And it was, it was honestly an awesome time. Woke up, you know, just we got, you know, coffee and some drinks and then we or coffee and some food at a donut shop down downtown. And then we made the trip over and, you know, our expectations were whatever. It was a night. Ryan Field is an old place. I think they said they were going to build a new one at some point here. Um, you know, we there was a big SIU tailgate because there were a lot of alumni there. It was just an awesome time, honestly. They had nice facilities and everything. And like I said, our expectations going in was like, I don't remember what the spread was before the game, but. Um, you know, obviously we're expecting, and I'm not gonna say expecting to lose, but you know, we wouldn't have been surprised if we did lose. And of course the game played out the way it did, you know, there were a lot of big plays, but I just recall, you know, Ryan Helinski, you know, and, uh, Evan Hall were on those teams. We know uh, Peter Skaronski, uh, who is a tackle, one of the top, top, top tackle prospects in the NFL this season, um, but it was incredible. After they were up 7 nothing. I mean, that was all in the first quarter. So we had drives that got to, like, midfield, and then we would, then we would, you know, not convert and have to punt, pin them deep. They would go downfield, and then – but we were forcing them to punt a lot until around two-minute mark in the first quarter, and then they scored an easy one. But then here's the plays. You know, it's the typical fullback tight end plays where we get them up the seam wide open. We had done with Jacob Garrett multiple times, and Tice got a 57 in order to tie the game. Evan Hall scored against so We're down 14 to seven. That was a great play by Tice. Barely took them four minutes to go down and score after that. Uh, and I'll say it because it, obviously it's not on here, and it happened throughout the game. We almost we ran the exact play again at one point, and Tice dropped it. 
which was devastating because he could have had it again. And we know Tyson's had drop issues in his career, had a little bit in this uh, season. Um, but he had another one up the scene that he dropped. It would have been another touchdown. But Jacob Garrett had um, – Jacob Garrett was – this was his, his uh, coming out party, you know, offensively for us. And he tied it at 14 right before half. Um, and then we – and then the only points of the third quarter, we were getting stops. Defense was phenomenal. I want to say uh, – you know, we had we had interceptions in this. Let me go back and look. Uh, we had a we know we we know we had a pick six off the board. So Nick had Nick threw a pick. I, I know on one of his picks in this game, or I guess it was this one. It got tipped and it barely, uh, you know, and it, and it barely the defender barely got his arms underneath it to fall on it. Uh, but then we picked him right back off. That was a. Uh, I'm not sure. It was on a it was on a penalty on this one. I don't remember who exactly. If I look again, let me look again real fast at the uh, box score. If it has defense, and if it had uh, whoever had, I know I know Branson had one. He did. Zach Barola had another, but Branson had one. He had a as we said, he had a pick six taken off the board in this game. Uh, but definitely a. Uh, well, the pick six was a momentum killer. They got Mark Davis on a crappy call that Branson took to the house, far side of the field, kind of a crappy call, like I said. But it, it was what it was. But like I said, we were up three with the Bumgart touched or touchdown at the end of the third quarter. That was or the field goal, excuse me. That was only points of the third quarter. They matched at seventeen all. So we're thinking, okay, you know, and we didn't know the season Northwestern was going to end up having. They had it ended up having a. Let me look. Let me look at the season they had. They had a one and eleven season. I want to say the game they won was the Nebraska game that I think was overseas somewhere. Let me look real fast at that. It was in uh, Aviva Stadium, yeah, overseas. So they got a three point win there. Then they lost to Duke before they played us. So they literally lost eleven straight games to end the season. We did not think that was going to be the case. Obviously, at the time, we thought it was a massive. Massive win we got, and I mentioned Jacob Garrett. He gave us a seven-point lead at the 12-and-a-half-minute mark on another one of his touchdowns, kind of wide-open touchdowns. Nick Baker had a one-yard run, up 14, and then we moved to one side of the stadium where all other SIU fans were sitting, and uh, you know they got a garbage-time touchdown to cut it to within seven. But we got that win, and it's like, oh, my gosh. you know, Like we said, we – we go to on these trips, not expecting a whole lot sometimes, but then when you go on these trips, have fun and you win, it makes it even better, obviously. And we were the talk of the national time, you know, spotlight at that time, beating a Northwestern team. Uh, you know, just, you know, obviously an FCS school, you know, obviously an FCS school beating uh, a Big Ten school, you know, it's obviously never a good look for them. It's And it's obviously going to make some kind of news. So that's what happened, and it was an amazing win. You know, we were riding high off that. If you get this was, you know, one of our biggest wins in program history. Like I said, when you look back on it and how Northwestern played, it was like, okay, but one of the biggest wins ever. It was our, what, we beat Indiana in 2006 or so or whatever year it was, and that was our biggest, you know, it was our last Big Ten win, but we had other kinds of wins like that. So, uh, 
just amazing. Nick had 241 on 23 of 34, three touchdowns. Did have the one crazy pick. I mean, Helensky had two picks. I mentioned them. Uh, Javon ran good in this game. Javon had a crazy one-handed catch in this game that saved a drive one time. And I mentioned Tice was our lead receiver with only 65. But if I look, see uh, who else did what for us in that regard. I mean, Avante... Three for 22, and or that was rushing, excuse me. Nick was 10 of 16 rushing. Receiving-wise, Javon, I mentioned that great catch. He was 4 for 48. Jacob Garrett, 4 for 47. Avante only had one of eight. And I believe this is – we didn't see uh, Bryce Miller. Let me go back because Bryce Miller obviously was a huge component this season for us. He didn't play against um, – I don't know if he played against SEMO. Uh, he did not, or he didn't get a catch anyways. He might have played in the game, but we know he played Northwestern, got a catch, and that and that sparked his amazing season for us, as I said. So we got that win, you know. So we're that was – who would have thought, you know, first three games our one, our one win would be against Northwestern. Never would have thought that. So so the team's feeling good. We were taking pictures. Team, I remember there was a good big defensive play, thinking of other guys like Nick Okiki, uh, you know, made a huge play and – to end that one. So amazing win, a great trip for us that ended in a dub. Nick Baker was talking after the game about some extra motivation being the Northwestern didn't recruit him and blah, blah, blah. So amazing win for us. And who would have, who would have thought that would at the time turn around our season? Cause we were going on to beat North Dakota at home. We know North Dakota was a playoff team. We know North Dakota was a playoff team the season before we know they're so, you know, we kind of knew what North Dakota was all about. We knew this was, you know, our second home game. We need to avenge losing the SEMO at home. And you're riding off a Northwestern win. You don't need to have any, um, you know, have a whatever game after that. You can't have really high and then be really low after that. So, took care of business. You know, I'm not going to really go through that game. And we won by 17. Uh, and then the, the game that Noah and I went to at Illinois State on October 1st which was really cold at the early part of fall. Uh, but that was an awesome game, you know, barely scraped away. We had to get a defensive stop at the end, and that's what we did. Uh, if I looked at that, this was the game we thought Jacob Garrett, who was so good for us so far this season, got hurt, ended up coming back. Uh, you know, there are some moments throughout these, uh, you know, big moments, uh, you know, and, but in terms of, you know, the season and the winning streak, it was, you know, I don't need to go through specifics. It's like some of these games that you know – because I don't remember a whole lot of moments from North Dakota. You know, I remember some of these Illinois State moments because I was there in attendance. So, yeah, they got a turnover on downs at the end of the game after we – I mean, there was Punt City, and we thought we had this game in the bag when we had a night – we were up 19 to nothing in this game. And then let them storm back, get 14 – or get 14 points in the second half, and then got them to get a turnover on downs. Zach Anikstad was pretty good, and I'll mention because this is the game we played them, and I want to go back real fast and look at the uh, – I can't see the defensive stats for this game for some reason for Illinois State anyway, but uh, uh, what's his name? Um, if I find it here, Zeke Vandenberg had like 18 tackles in that game, I'm pretty sure. So, And he won the Buck Buchanan Defensive Player of the Year Award. So played Lindsey Scott week one. He won Walter Payton. Played Zeke Vandenberg this week. He won the Buck Buchanan and that. So that was cool knowing the FCS – awards we played the two guys and he did kill us in that game we were lucky to get that final stop because like i guess we had a 19-0 lead and it could have escaped us that was a uh that was a crazy heart-wrenching style of game but it was a fun one so that's three wins in a row at this point and what do you know let's go avenge the team that beat us last year beat us beat us the previous two seasons and that is missouri state 
on the road. And we remember working, keeping up with this game. It was a crazy one. We got a we got a interception right off the bat from I want to say it was Branson in this one. And we recall Branson. He had the Northwestern game. He had struggled. Semo and you know, not a whole lot going on in Incarnate Word, but Branson had a heck of a year. And we want to say started slow, but he had the Northwestern game, and then he and then he would have the North – I think it was that. It was Northwestern. He was great. And then North Dakota, Illinois State, he wasn't doing anything. And then he finally, you know, did what we know he could do against Missouri State. And he got that interception to start. And then we took three plays, went negative 14 yards. Torney had a 34-yard punt, gave it right back to him. And then this was the problem. So we thought we would, you know, capitalize the start of this on the road – with that pig, and then we punted, let them score, go 50 yards, go 50 yards for the touchdown. Uh, Jacardier Wright, who we know was a Kansas State transfer, uh, high school teammates with Bo Brandon, was, and he scored that. We punted again the next drive, barely took a minute 40 off the clock. By the way, they scored, they went 50 yards, four plays in about two minutes. That first touchdown, the second touchdown, a minute 22, four plays, 68-yard touchdowns, and that was finished with a pass from Jason Shelley to one of his receivers. So down 14-0, worst-case scenario, we had turnover on downs. We were able to get a huge stop. This is what turned the game. A huge stop on them, turnover on downs. This is when we started seeing Sean Lester this year, who you know was one of the few freshmen that played that obviously Sean made a huge impact, and he's the future of our backfield, no doubt. So I just see him on here knowing that – uh, he played really well, and that was a Misu who uh, had that touchdown near the end. That was a uh, Justin Strong 20-yard touchdown on that one. So we got on the board, and then we, we got a punt for them, three plays, negative four yards, and then we tied it, tied it for a Javon one-yard score. So next thing you know, it's tied. And then we got a field goal right at the end or right before halftime on a uh, – on a 25-yarder from Jake. So, you know, halftime with the lead, who would have thought? And then we piled it on. We had a touchdown right out of halftime. Another Javon touchdown. That, was, that drive was led by uh, – I mean, this was a – I'm just looking at this. This was a – and that was a LaShawn Lester uh, type of drive. But, I mean, we scored, made them punt, scored again. This was a 96-yard drive, eight minutes, perfect. It was a lot of fault, a lot of penalties on them to – Extend drive. Sean Lester had a 27-yard run on this one. A lot of Deontay on this one, and it was finished. It was finished off by a uh, Bryce Miller touchdown. I want to say that was his first at, at SIU. Could be wrong. So a touchdown, and then we picked him off again. I don't know who it was, uh, and then we scored again. Avante for 41 yards. That was after after we had that good field position. So we're up 38 to 14, up 24 points. After down, we scored thirty. We scored thirty-eight unanswered points, and then Jake missed a field goal. And we got forty-five yarder, um, and then that was whenever, like I said, we got them on downs again. And it was just a crazy game. And then they score, ended up whatever, and then we ended up winning thirty-eight to twenty-one. So it was a revenge game. We know Jason Shelley, who won MVC Player of the Year last year. I mean, it was. You know, a crazy, crazy game. We wanted this revenge, and that's what we got. Uh, you know, obviously just a fun one. And it was the emergence of Sean Lester, 17 for 81. Uh, Deontay, 6 of 108. Avante, 7 of 107. This was a complete offensive game. So just like that, when we were 0-2 on the season, even in that game, down 14 nothing, 
They scored 38 unanswered, and then an overall fourth straight win on the road. Huge win. So, you know, that propelled us overall and, you know, slowly but surely in conference play because that was our third conference win to that point. And then we hosted Western Illinois. That was the battle of the uh, Rochester quarterbacks, which theirs didn't even start. He, you know, Clay Bruno ended up coming at the end of the game and played a lot better than the guy who started for them. They had a, a good receiver on that team. We beat them at home, 30-7. to seven. So five straight wins just like that. And what do you know? You know, riding high, five-game winning streak, um, you know, whatever, five and two on the season. I mean, we're looking good, right? You know, we're, th- you know, we're on the fringe of these bubbles. We're on these 20, top 25 ranks still. We're back near the top 25. And then, then the biggest, you know, one of the worst stretches we can remember on the season. So two-game losing streak, five-game winning streak, and this is what emerged on the four-game losing streak to end the season. At South Dakota, and another crazy game. I mean, a game that we were, you know, found ourselves up 21-7, to touchdowns Avante and Bryce, after Javon got us on the board to start, and then it just hit the fan. Oh, their, their, their kicker, who we remember thinking about was, you know, had been struggling or was whatever, they were a 46-yarder right before half. So then, like, literally right before half, 20 seconds before, 21 to 10. So it said, okay, we get – I don't remember if we got the ball at ha- you know, at the start of halftime or not. Don't recall. Because that's the scoring plays. If I went through the, um, you know, field goal and then we tried to get a play before half, didn't get anything, they scored a touchdown. And that was what it was. They scored a touchdown out of halftime. And it was a long 70 yard, 78 yards, four-minute drive that ended with a 15-yard touchdown. And then we – luckily, I mean, we were able to match them. So up four, and then we got a field goal, 72 yards. I think that's whenever we – yeah, we had a – we well, we were on the goal line, and we couldn't get in. They, we tried to pass it to Avante twice, couldn't get in. And then Jake just – we settled with a Jake 21-yard touchdown. So up seven. To back-to-back punts, and then next thing you know, they're they they tied it just like that with a touchdown. This was a Shamari Lawrence, uh, twenty-nine yard down down the sideline, just really bad defense. When our defense had been playing great all the way to that point, and even in that game in moments, but then they scored that one, and then they got a. This was whenever it sparked our coaching, our bad coaching decisions, uh, whenever. Uh, well, first of all, we tried to club, we tried to force something here on this interception. I remember it was, yeah, it was third and eight. Uh, you know, and we tried going for it at the five minute mark at their own 42. So it was around midfield. It wasn't the worst decision in the world. Uh, you know, but I don't remember the exact play, but Nick got intercepted. So then they got a, you know, they were around midfield, like I said, around the, well, we were at the 42, so they were probably at, at their own 25 with the pick. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, they're 32. So then they you know, had huge yards. Travis Tice, 14 yards, 20 yards, 2 yards. Set them all the way up for a – so we were down 3. So we had how much time left? Two and a half minutes. So their kicker, who was – I think the whole thing with the kicker was he was awesome at home, terrible outside, and we know they have a dome, so he was kicking you know, freely in there. And then here we are with this possession right here. We we were trying to throw wide receiver screens, trying to throw everything incomplete. Three straight incomplete passes to Bryce and Avante, two by Bryce. And then Nick is sacked for a nine-yard loss. When we go for it at our own 25 at fourth and 10 with, with two minutes left, 
because if I recall, I don't know if there were, let me look again if there were, we didn't call any, no, we had two timeouts left. And Nick Hill went for it on 4th and 10 at our own 25. And Nick got sacked when we needed 10 yards to extend with a kicker at that time who was struggling. As we know, I'll try to dive into that. There's so much to try to remember about ins and outs of this season. And got sacked. two, And you had two timeouts left. And then you end up using them at the end of the game. They were able to get easily get their, you know, their first down runs. And then next thing you know, they got all the way to our 5-yard line because they were already at our 10 or so, or our 25, and then they ended the game. They just took a knee at the very end, and that it was. So that started the bad game management, and it's, and where we should have punted it away, then used our timeouts, got it back, and just took your chance. That's better than going forward at your own 25, 4th, and 10. We were making a big deal about it at that time, as everybody knows. Terrible way to lose, terrible way to end your winning streak. And we, were, we recall you know, South Dakota was awful to that point in the season, and we needed more of these wins, and it would have been a key road win with that huge lead that we had to, you know, spark us towards getting into the playoff field and getting all these things. So a backbreaking loss in that one. And then, and then we hosted Northern Illinois, Northern Iowa in a crazy game. Theo Day, we know the Iowa State transfer. You know, we talk about all these teams that we play, or Michigan State transfer, excuse me. We we have all these teams that we play. Uh, and that they get high-level quarterbacks. You know, we like Nick. Nick's put up numbers. He's going to be Sluky Hall of Famer. He's going to put up numbers. He's going to put up more numbers next year. But you get Theo, you know, guys like Theo Day who are 6'5", 225, and I'll get to his season, and I'll get to his game in a second. But they torched it. This was a barn burner game. We lost by 137-36. I mean, it was a 10-7 game we were winning at the end of the first, and then listen to second quarter they went on, a 21-7 Second quarter they put on us. And this was a game where I remember because we were sitting on the UNI side, Avante had a play where he broke a lot of tackles, got into the end zone. That was the 10 to 7 score. Desmond Hudson, Dion McShane, you name it. Theo Day was letting me, finding these guys with ease. Matthew Cook, one of the best kickers in the FCS, was nailing, nailing everything he had. A field goal, only one field goal in this one, but. We knew that he was great. So Theo Day had three touchdown passes in that second quarter. We are down 28 to 17 and a half. So we're thinking, okay, you know, after last week, what could go wrong? We come in and let a team put 28 up on us in the first half. Javon then had a four-yard run. We did not hit the two-point conversion. Probably a bad, you know, a bad call on that one. We tried to uh, probably a run, even though, you know, the short passing game could work at times. But a lot of stuff just was not working. Um so then, but we so we tried to go for two to make it a three-point game, down by five. Matthew Cook gets a field goal, so we're down by seven. Sean Lester goes down, or excuse me, down by eight. Sean Lester goes down, gets a two-yard run, another two-point conversion failed. Awful decision-making on that. And here it is, though, fourth quarter, the start of it. We get the ball back, and this whenever, you know, we got lucky with a drive by Theo Day, and... Uh, Avante, 27-yard touchdown, up by five. So you needed, let's see here, you needed just one of those stops again. So as soon as we score, they go down. Okay, so here it is. We we score, then they go down and score. 75 yards, five and a half minutes. Theo Day gets his fifth fat passing touchdown of the game. So we go down, and I want to say we took five minutes off the clock, and this was with 45 seconds left. We were there just absolutely excruciating. 
heck of a drive. Uh, you know, a long five-minute, 52-yard drive. And got near, we were at the UNI 23, or 21, excuse me, third and five. And this is one of those runs where Javon gets it. It's just an easy handoff, or it maybe was a uh, keeper for him on a uh, read, which he always kept his whole career, and uh, didn't get anywhere. Got two yards, and they've got us up in position. It was a 41-yard kick, as we talked about. You know, at this point in the season, it was. It was some... Thomas Burks, it was some Jake Bumgart flipping and flopping, but they gave it to Jake at the end of the season, and he missed this one. It was wide right. We talked about it a lot. Was if you give it to him at the right hash, he's going to miss it. Give him at the left hash because he's been missing him right, and he missed this one wide right. I want to say this was this game. Um, you know, you and I, you know, they, I think, yeah, a lot of our dog pound was letting them have it. I think that was this game. So then they go down. We actually get them to punt. Uh was this the heartbreaking game? It was. <laughs> I had to remind myself there for a second. So we missed the field goal. We we get them to punt, and you know we get our timeouts and we get the ball at you know we go six plays, sixty nine yards and twenty nine seconds. Uh, you know Deontay had a seventeen yarder. We got Jacob for five yards. A couple incomplete passes to the brothers. So third and five with twenty nine seconds left. Um, we got lucky because there was a offsides that we had a free play that Nick Baker chucked 50 yards and got intercepted. So then we got the ball at the 48, and it took one play. And we remember the plays before that when Nick was trying to just connect with the, with the Cox brothers. He could have ran for more yardage, you know, that got us any more closer so the throw wouldn't be as bad. We talked about that. Maybe it could have happened. So we got the we got the we you know the extra play again. You know, we were just throwing hail marys. With the offsides and the and the and the and the INT, that was a touchback. But then the next play, I mean, talk about the worst way to lose. So Jathan Jones, who's barely played all year, comes in there for a jump ball. Nick throws it, airs it out, throws it short at the one yard line. Jathan or probably two yard line, whatever it was, caught it. Jathan Jones, and he had the ball in his chest, as we know. And went and had his knees down before he went over. He should have extended the ball. I know it's easier said than done in the moment. He caught it. And, you know, from a lot of different angles, it looked like he could have broke the plane before his knees touched. But, like I said, he had it, you know, he had it tucked in, you know, his chest, and his knees were down. And that's that's the way you lose. They reviewed it, and they and they confirmed it. Just like the crazy game. I think this was the craziest game all year. That's hard to say. There's a lot of candidates for that one, but... You know, the fact that we couldn't stop them, but we were able to score. It took the, you know, getting the final possession uh, and after the missed field goal and then having a Hail Mary that gets us one yard short of a win. You want to talk about excruciating. That's what that was. So one point loss to you and I, probably the worst loss of the year. And then a game where Noah and I went to, he was there for the first half, a frigid cold game against North Dakota State. They came in here. And I remember the whole talk was how North Dakota State uh, couldn't throw the ball. And we had the ball first, and we punted, and then they aired it out. Cam Miller had a 27-yard air-out pass, and I think there was an air-out play at one point. Uh, you know, a lot of Hunalupke in this game, but he got hurt. You know, Cam Miller had a 27-yard pass to put them on the board, but then there were no points up for a long time. It was Punt City, Nick threw a pick. Uh, if I recall some of these that happened, we did get a field goal before half. 
which was Jake from 28 yards. So we're only down seven to three. We know these low scoring games we have with North Dakota State, these close ones at our place. Uh, they punted out of half. We scored out of half. So we took a three point lead. That was thanks to a, a Jacob Garrett one yard run. A lot of Javon on that drive, 60 yards, seven at seven and a half minutes, wearing down that defense. They go down and match just 69 yards and almost six minutes themselves. Uh, you know, like I said, Hunter Lupke got hurt, so they had a, their backup running back come in, score. And we punted, and then they scored, and then it was just, you know, too little too late in a lot of facets. And then our uh, – uh, and then we scored a garbage time one. Noah and I were already at Buckwater Brewworks because it was too cold. We knew we were going to lose. They had the game on in there that we went 81 yards and four minutes to score. But we had to go for we I think we tried to go for two, didn't get it, just to try to get it closer and whatever. This was the game I think Avante's streak ended too, his consecutive game streak that was like historic in the program. So we lost by three there. That was excruciating, you know, because if we talked about, you know, even with the two game losing streak, if you beat North Dakota State, who I think was ranked first at the time or top three, you know, beating them at home, that could have done you wonders uh, you know, going into that could have made you six and four going into the final week. That would have gave you a chance if you won that. So we knew at that point after that loss that our, our season was over, you know, we were 500 at that time. Didn't think we were going to get in obviously. And then this final game, which we have not talked about, tweeted a lot about uh, on the road at Youngstown state, a good start for us. I mean, you know, we had a 70 yard touchdown to break it open. I recall Vontae did a penguin dance in the end zone for the Youngstown state penguins. Uh, and then we're at 14 to nothing, just like that. Jacob Garrett, 22-yard pass. And the next thing you know, Jaloum McLaughlin, who I'll get to the stats, man, you know, was whatever. He had an amazing career. He scored, so it was 14 to 7 at the end of the third. Uh, there were no points in the second or third quarter, and then the meltdown happened in this game. Like I said, we just wanted to go out on top. This wasn't a, a game. We know Youngstown was more on the brink than us to get in, uh, and they obviously didn't. But we knew we weren't going to get in, but we wanted to go out on top. So, you know, so we get outscored 21 to seven in the fourth quarter. And a lot of that was because of more bad play calling. When we had a lead and uh, let's see, whenever we, we were, we were up 21 to seven after we had a touchdown from Deontay for almost 50 yards. This was at the um, whatever point in the game. It was the start of the fourth quarter, 11 minutes up 21 to seven. And then there were drives. Next thing you know, they scored 48-yard pass. Uh, then Bryce Oliver, who had back-to-back -to -back touchdowns, couldn't cover the guy. So next thing you know, it's tied. And, you know, bear with me. I'm trying to think about some of these plays, um, which, by the way, there were a lot of bad play calls. There was a play throughout the season that our offensive lineman had to try to catch a pass when he was eligible. Whatever it was, it was just... Nick Hill tried to be a little too cute. We know at, at the you know throughout this winning streak, he got his extension. So we kind of knew... I think it was either after the losing streak or right at the beginning of the winning streak. Not sure. He got it in the middle of the season, though. At the time, it was obviously well-deserved. It could have been preseason. Heck, I don't remember. But we know we made the playoffs two straight years before this, won a, won a game in each year. You know, it was well-deserved. And then this happened, and then you're questioning if it was deserved with how some of this play calling was. But, you know, it was tied, you know, and we punted right after that. A lot of bad play calling. Nathan Torney, a couple bad, more bad punts. And then we allowed them to score. You know, come all the way down. I just I just remember the clock management was awful. The play calling was awful to try to get them back in the game. Uh, that's what they did. And they took a lead with about 35 seconds left, a 22-yard run for Jaleel. 
I just remember listening to it and how just awful it was of a collapse that we had. But it was this final possession where Nick ended up throwing a touchdown. It was an unsportsmanlike on them and near the end. I can't remember some specifics, to be honest. Um, but I do remember just how awful it was. You know, Nick had a pick at this one to – and we got them to miss a field goal at one point. I mean, like I said, 21-7 lead, start the fourth quarter, should not – uh, matter like I said, just just because of the fact that we wanted the win, it wouldn't have had any, you know, whatever. But it was just a, a, you know, an exclamation point on the play calling and how the end of the season happened. So terrible loss there to end. Youngstown still didn't get in, as I said. So two game losing streak, five game winning streak. You know, some good wins in there. Obviously, Northwestern beating North Dakota at home. That barn burner against Illinois State, crazy one kicking Missouri State's butt at their place, and then the win- and then the losing streak that you could have prevented. Lost by three to South Dakota, lost by one to Northern Iowa. I mean, if you win both those games, you set yourself up. If you lose by three to North Dakota State, then so be it. But I think if we're still on this winning streak at that point, a seven-game winning streak, we probably play North Dakota State a little better. You know, morale's different. You never know. Then we lost four straight at the end of the year, and next thing you know, we're out of the playoff picture. Five and six. So... It couldn't have been the most roller coaster season. We wanted to carry over, like I said, the back-to-back playoffs and you know round wins in the playoff. We remember the first one in the spring, whenever we almost beat South Dakota State in the uh, in the uh, final eight uh, to move on. And it's it's just, especially with the you know we talk about maybe the playoffs were expanded in the COVID year or even this year. You know, there's still a lot of teams that make it. We still even, couldn't even get in. At that point, so, I mean, just, like I said, I mean, I've already gone to talk about how awful this season was from that perspective, and not a whole lot to mention there. We are moving, and we are moving ahead, but I wanted to recap it just in terms of the, you know, talk about the roller coaster season that was, the good moments, and the winning streak, the bad moments at the end of the season, at the start of the season, but the highlight was for sure winning in Northwestern, because like I said, we were there, got to experience it, a Big Ten Power Five win, it was just awesome, awesome experience there. Uh, so let me run through stats real fast. What ended up with the season, Nick Baker at 2,745 yards, did throw for 20 touchdowns, seven picks. Yeah, it was actually pretty good at not turning the ball over this season. We know there were some, obviously, some moments at, at the end of the season that were, you know, uh, could have, you know, couldn't have happened, you know, or could have had different decision-making there. And that was a big thing Nick had at most of the season. The start of the season was his decision-making was going to be different. Um so no one else, you know, notable through for anything. Javon was our second leading passer on only 10 completions. Romir, who, which by the way, Richie Haggerty didn't play in that last game, found out he had, he had to have surgery. I'll get to some other injuries here in a second. That just hit me. But Romir was still a leading rusher on the year with 476. You know, half of a 1,000. We know some guys are getting over a 1,000 with these. We had some spread rushing this season, but Romir got hurt. Only had 91 rushes. We know Javon, 121 rushes, had 415. Javon had nine touchdowns that by far led the the group. Romier had three. Sean had one. Justin Strong, who's also hurt at the end of the season, had three. Nick had two rushing. Then Jacob Garrett had a rushing as well, the first of his career. Uh, Receiving, Deontay barely beat out his brother. And receiving, and actually with one more catch, uh, Deontay 696, Avante 613. 11, 11 total between the two. Avante had eight touchdowns. Bryce Miller had 37 for 394, about 11 yards a catch. I mean, Deontay was just 15 yards a catch. Bryce did have two touchdowns. Jacob Garrett had six receiving touchdowns this year. 
332 yards. Javon, 245 receiving. Romir, 191. Romir had a, there were a lot of big plays for Romir in the receiving game this year. Tice, only 188. He he was injured at the end of the season as well. And then a couple others. Jacob Umgar was 33 on 36 from extra points this year. 12 of 18 on field goals. We mentioned Thomas Burks had some chances. Had a big leg. We mentioned it in that Northern Iowa game. It's either you hit, you throw the Hail Mary or you have Thomas Burks kick a 60-yarder and just take your chances. But that's not what happened. And then on defense-wise, P.J. Jules, who had a rough start to the season, was phenomenal in this one. Had led us in tackles with 62. Also had two and a half sacks. You know, all those sacks were for 26 yards, which was the third most on the team. A lot of P.J. was kind of being used like – yeah, I picture Jeremy Chen as a charger. Uh, well, him, Jeremy Chen, who was hurt this year. I was going to say Derwin James. You know, we used PJ all across the field. We were using him in the nickel, using him in, you know, single highs. But, you know, we know he was a corner. And we and then they moved him to safety when there was a lot of up and down with Antonio Fletcher, Clayton Bush. Uh, so PJ was kind of used in that whole hybrid role. He was around the line of scrimmage and everything. Branson Combs, 55 tackles, two and a half sacks himself, two interceptions. Is we're seeing P.J. with no picks. We know the pick six he had against Kansas State. Chris Harris Jr. had a great year for us. 49 tackles, three uh, passes defended. Clayton had a sack in this in this season, one interception for him as well. He was fourth in the team in tackles. Uh, D.J. Johnson uh, had 45 tackles, five passes defended. Him and D.J. Were, or him and David Miller right behind each other are our top corners this year. They both struggled. No doubt. Antonio Fletcher was up and down. Didn't play near the end of the season, which was interesting. Uh, he's been all over the place in his uh, his offseason, though, preparing for the next level. So a lot of guys were on here. You know, we had a lot of people make tackles this year. We had – but we had 34 sacks as a team. I think they said that was a top program record or one of them. Uh, and we had 37 passes defended. We had five interceptions as a team. So overall, let me, let me do – let me read the sacks who led us – uh, Richie Haggerty had six. Dewey Green and limited. He, Dewey Green had five solo tackles this year, 14 total, four sacks. We know we can do it. He was, you know, praising himself up for how good he, how good he is and how talented he is. Mikel had four. Keenan Agnew three and a half. David Miller two and a half. PJ two and a half. Branson two and a half. Quentin Lee two. OKK two. Cam Battery who was also hurt one and a half. So then it filled out. So 34 is the team. Like we said, it was the defense was awful at the start. Was really good during the winning streak. Was fine in moments, even in the losing streak. And then they kind of fell apart. And we there was a stat as soon as we knew the stat of what they were against the run, which was a program record, I think. And as soon as we knew that, we knew it was going to fall apart, and that it did. So those were the stats. I mean, like I said, overall, I mean, it, it could have been a lot worse. We scored thirty points a game, uh, with three hundred thirty-three total points. Had forty-four touchdowns. Uh, you know, we're, we're good on fourth down. You know, if we were 44% on third down efficiency is 72 for 163 for what that's worth. I'm assuming that's not great. That almost, that's almost a hundred more than you didn't get. So probably in the clutch moments weren't great, but we were 18 of 26 from fourth down, which was 69%. So, I mean, overall, it's just an up and down year. That's all it was. And I, I mentioned injuries because I think that clearly has a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, by the end of the season, we had guys that we didn't have Isaiah Hartrip at all this season. Uh, Ty Daniel, we mentioned the shoulder. He got hurt against, I want to say it was Western. Um, got hurt or he didn't. 
I want to say it was Western or North Dakota, one of the others, but he was out for the year. Justin Strong missed the latter parts of the season, as I mentioned. Dune Smith missed, missed the latter parts of the season due to injury. Avante was off and on. We recall he hurt his hand, you know, in the preseason. And then he all of a sudden was going to play against Incarnate Word. Did play all season. Thought he heard it at one point. I think that was a North Dakota or Western game. He heard it on a play. So he was off and on. And then the offensive line. We didn't see Calvin Francis at all this year, who's going to be our starting center. So then it was Sam Buck. And then it was Jacob Koffel. And there was a lot of movement on the offensive line. Sometimes it was good when we had Abdu Torre at right tackle. You know, saw Colin Smith at times, hoping to see a lot from Colin next year. Uh, Bo Brandon was moved all around. Jake Green, you know, so it was kind of Chase Evans. I mean, it was kind of consistent. It was good at, at times. It was a Northwestern game where we said, okay, this line's good. And then it st- kept being off and on a little bit. Jakari Patterson got hurt at the start of the year, as we know. Could have benefited having him. And I mentioned Richie not having him for the final game. He ended up with some kind of surgery at the end of the day. So I, I do think that if we had a couple of those guys, I mean, Cam, I don't think I mentioned it, but Cam Bowdry uh, was hurt near the end of the year. We missed him for like the last three or four games, I want to say. So um, just up and down year with injuries, with everything. Um, and then, you know, senior, the seniors made a lot of posts. We, we made sure we got our senior posts out to all of them, especially ones like Avante who had, you know, Hall of Fame type careers here. want to thank the guys that have been here for a couple of years, like Tice, uh, like uh, I'm blanking on some, but even we had so many new guys this year. It was we had, were uh, we're in the top of the FCS and transfers added guys like George Douglas, Chris Harris, Antonio Fletcher made posts about all those guys. Like I said, Tice was a two-year guy. Bryce Miller, we we mentioned on his tweet that we wish he had extra eligibility. How clutch he was in the slot or everywhere. Um, and then it was guys like I mentioned the Avantes, Deontay, which I'll get to him. Uh, the amazing season that he had, uh, uh, and then guys like clearly Jacob Garrett, like, um, um, blanking on some of them, Keenan Agnew, like leaders of the team, like pure leaders of the team that we've had forever. Like I mentioned, some of the other first, you know, first, uh, year or the only year guys like Remington Lutz who had moments, uh, but wasn't enough like we expected. So, um, you know, some of those guys have eligibility left, some don't. We, like I said, made the tweets about some. There were some good tweets, and they made their own tweets as well. Uh, mentioned some of the stats. Mike did have all-time stats. I'm not going to go back and find those, though. But I did want to dive into, at the end of the season, for some of the awards some players got. Nick Baker, Jacob Garrett were named to the uh, uh, College Sports Communicators Academic All-District Teams. Uh, and in that one, we had 10 players on the all-conference teams. Uh, first team was Richie Haggerty with his six sacks, well-deserved. Second team was Branson, Avante, Jacob, PJ, and Javon. Uh, Javon was all-purpose on that team. Uh, honorable mention, All-Missouri Valley, Nick Baker. We mentioned how the great quarterbacks in the Valley. Nick Baker was on this, Bo Brandon and Deontay. And then the all-newcomer team was Deontay and Chris Harris. Like I said, Chris Harris had a really awesome year for us. Um some of those, and then uh, Missouri Valley Scholar Athlete Team was Jacob Garrett, Nick Baker, and Keenan Agnew for the conference, conference Scholar Athlete Team. Um, so those were the awards after the fact. I mean, even if I were to give, like, team awards on both ends, both sides of the ball, I'd give it to Deontay. 
I want to say like Jacob Garrett offensively, you know, Nick had a nice season as well, obviously, but Jacob was good and touchdowns helped us a lot. It was so pivotal, but Deontay, we didn't have him last season. If he would have added to the Isaiah's, the Landon's and the Avante's last season, who knows what else we could have done last year offensively. And he showed how valuable he is, how special and how talented he is. I'd give it to Deontay for his emergence, but Jacob Garrett's right there with him defensively. You got PJ leading tackler did everything. I want to give it to him or Branson. Had special moments for us, our top two guys, hoping those two can obviously return. Have a feeling that definitely Branson will. Haven't heard a whole lot on PJ. I'll get to those again at some point. But uh, overall, I'd say those were the special guys of the season. Like I said, just an up-and-down season. Nick Hill have an end-of-season interview. We retweeted a long time ago talking about the ups and downs. And Mike was telling about his play calling at the end and um, how it all kind of fell apart. But he liked this team. He thought this team could have done a lot. And in general – with the personnel we have, when, we, when you have a Vontae Cox in your team and he's fighting through injuries where he didn't expect him to be ready, and here he is, I mean, I mean, you want to win for a guy like that. You want to win for an all-timer. And it wasn't able to happen, unfortunately. Uh, but like I said, I kind of remember some things from his interview. I remember he was talking about, Mike was talking to him about other opportunities for Nick to take another job. I don't even remember exactly, but we retweeted it, if you guys remember it at the time. Those are just my final takeaways. It was a season where Nick Hill got an extension, well-deserved, uh, but you can't lose two, win five, and lose four. You got to make the playoffs and a kind of an expanded playoffs. And if you want to be a team that's deemed up there with the likes of the Dakota States, um, you know, in your conference and the great conference, you got to be able to be, just be a little bit more consistent. And that's what we weren't able to do this year, but we did have great moments. We'll always remember the Northwestern win. You know, you have these kind of moral pros of this season, but we know the the end goal was to make the playoffs. And as long as you get in, you never know what can happen. So uh, that was the goal, and it didn't happen this year, but we're moving forward. And it was a special year for a lot of people. And, um, you know, like I said, it, it had its moments, but it had its down moments. And that's all you can really say about it. Just one of those roller coaster seasons. But if you want to sustain, you need to – be able to be consistent enough to make the playoffs. So those are my final takeaways. So in terms of the playoffs, South Dakota State did win. They beat North Dakota State. I think it was a blowout. It was close to first, and South Dakota State blew them out. John Stogelmeyer, who was their longtime head coach, he was, he's was he been their head coach since right around the time I was alive in the mid-'90s when I was born. He finally retired, uh, which, is a, which is a big deal because you talk about, you know, South Dakota State had a heck of a season. They were first most of the year. We know they barely lost to Iowa at the start of the year. Should have beat them, honestly. But he retired, so it's like, okay, that's a big shoes to fill for a guy to, taking on that job uh, for maybe what could be the new dynasty of the league. And we know it's just going to be those two again for the foreseeable future. But big win for South Dakota State in their first ever win in the FCS. I mentioned the two award winners. Bobby Petrino left Missouri State. That was kind of – this is other news outside of everything else – about Petrino left Missouri State. Their defensive coordinator got promoted. Uh, they also, I saw recently, Missouri State got an offensive line men from Ole Miss in the portal. So they're still able to get guys kind of like how their basketball team is in the portal, take advantage of that. But Bob Petrino did leave. I want to say he left. I'm already blanking. I know Noah knows it. We we're talking, there are people talking. Oh, I think he went to Jimbo. He went to Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher to be their offensive coordinator. So. Good for him. Like I said, he was there to stabilize that program. It was just like a bridge place for him. But, you know, kudos to the 
for them to get in there. They had the good year last year, and then this year they struggled, and then he was out the door. So uh, I definitely thought that was notable. Some other ones around the transfer portal from other people that I know stuck out. Carson Camp, as we know, South Dakota quarterback. Uh, he left. He's going to uh, Sacramento State, who had a really good year this year. So a talented young QB going there to help them sustain and be more, you know, even more consistent. And then Shamori Lawrence, who we were in on in the portal, ended up. I thought we were going to get him to be honest. He went to Florida International. Just some other ones. There was a tons of others. Like I said, Noah will talk about a lot of it. But uh, there's that. I mentioned. Bear with me with the NFL Salukis. Let me go to the app and try to find it. Search guys. We know Jeremy late made a late push to uh, the season after he was missing a lot of time. Jeremy ended up with you know with this hurt season, only seventy total tackles. Did have a sack, no interceptions. Form had six passes defended. Uh, did have safety yardage though in this season. Like I said, he only played uh, only played in eleven games when he played in fifteen and sixteen his first two. So we know. You know, they just hired Frank Reich recently as their head coach. So Jeremy's going to keep being great. Hopefully at some point he'll be under that. Uh, I want to say Jeremy's honestly almost up for an extension. You know, we know quarterbacks from that class are looking to get their extensions. Jeremy will be up for one here in the, in the coming year, which is awesome to see. Then we'll get to one that was on a playoff team, and that was Mr. Ryan Neal. It's just crazy I keep because I had a class with Ryan when I first got to SIU in 2017. He was there in his latter in his later years. Uh, you know, having a class with him and now seeing him succeed in the NFL is really cool. We know it's the fourth season for that Ryan had with Seattle. He had he had 66 total tackles, two forced fumbles, one sack, and one interception. He was a starting safety for them at times in a good secondary and a good defense that Seattle had this year. An awesome year for Ryan. I mean, like I said, a, a team that ended up making the playoffs, and he was a big part of it. So kudos to Ryan Neal on an awesome season. And then the other one we know about that scored a couple times this year was uh, the Michael Pruitt, who was on the Falcons. And he ended up, he had 16 for 150 this year, did score four touchdowns. So one of the all-time pass catchers at SIU history found the end zone four times in a, another, like, you know, injury-plagued uh, season this year, jumping around. But he did find a home in Atlanta and scored some touchdowns. So there's those guys. So now, guys, with all that being said, the biggest news of all outside of a season recap was everything that has happened since then. And, uh, you know, I want to start out maybe with, you know, time frame, you know, wise. And let's start out with a big news that happened right as soon as the season ended was Pat Poole retiring. Uh, you know, he was a longtime coach here, as we know retired in about the middle of uh, December. He's the winningest assistant coach in school history, 87 career victories and 13 total seasons. No head coach or assistant has been involved in more wins or playoff appearances at SIU, which he had seven himself. And he had an interview with Mike. They were talking about constantly of what he was like with Jerry Kill from 01 to 2007. Most recently, it's the tight ends and fullbacks coach that he know, that we know was here with Nick from, from 17 to 2021. And then, you know, and then it's doing a phenomenal job. And this hurt us because we know the disciplinarian he is. We know just the veteranship he is. I mean, he turned Jacob Garrett's career around. You know, he helped the Tice Daniels. He helped everybody that's paved the way in his whole career, but definitely under Nick. And he was talking about the differences, but, you know, why Nick Hill is such a great coach. He's a great communicator. He's an awesome leader. You know, he's a man of faith. He puts that all into everything as a pure person, as a pure coach. And that's why he says he's able to succeed as a head coach. And 
he loved, you know, being there with Nick and being an assistant for Nick. Uh, you know, so, you know, a lot of time throughout here when he returned under, Co under Nick, uh, you know, obviously, and he was in on the team whenever Nick was our quarterback and stuff. And, um, Nick Hill said about Coach Pat Poirier, he said, quote, having worked with Pat for 10 years as both a player and a coach, he has helped shape who I am and how I want to treat people. Every day he came to work or practice with the true joy of coaching. He loves the game of football for the right reasons and was as loyal as can be. He only worked for two head coaches in his career. He always brought a smile to my face and what a great way to be remembered, end quote. Um, we remember, you know, it. It mentions here about the, the, the you know being a part of the victories against the Big Ten programs in Indiana in 06, as I mentioned earlier, and then this one. And then he was recognized, he was recognized at one of the early uh, basketball games this season for his career. So that started it all with him retiring, knowing, you know, there'd be a lot of, you know, flip-flopping going around with the, uh, uh, with the start of the coaching carousel, as I mentioned. So, so there was that one. And then I, I would say the next one off the board, coaching-wise, was finding out that we hired uh, Zach Grant, and we were he was initially hired as a tight ends coach to replace Pat Porras. So you're like, okay, it makes sense. Uh, he was actually on the staff the last three seasons at Western Illinois, where he was the running backs coach, and he switched to the wide receiver room, and he came here as a tight ends coach. He's a Springfield, Illinois native, long time, you know. And he replaces Pat Poor. Uh, he was a wide receiver at Illinois, so he's an Illini guy, which is good to see. Um, and then he was a senior in 2016, so he just, you know, graduated, uh, you know, college just six, seven years ago now, which is crazy. So he's been in coaching ever since, and now he finds his way here. Uh, as I mentioned, he came, he he played at Rochester, which is obviously where Nick went, which is a big deal. He was a, he was the state champion in 2010 and 2011. And then Nick Hill said, quote, I have known Zach for a while through Coach Derek Leonard at Rochester. I've always been impressed by him as someone I would love to be a part of our staff when the time is right, end quote. So that time is now. So we thought initially Zach Grant, which welcome in Zach, was here to replace Pat Poor before a lot of other stuff happened. And like I said, a lot more of news in general. I'll get to more of the coaches before I end with some other things. Uh the next coach to fall, and it wasn't even one that we knew of. The only time we knew about this one was when we hired old boy, legend, all-time great running back Larry Warner was going to be our running backs coach. So that came out of nowhere. So then we were looking around, finding everything, realizing on this, I think it was on, um, yeah, it was on this article about Larry, which they mentioned his career, fantastic career, uh, but the reason we found out about that was because Nate Griffin, who, okay, we knew Nate was our running backs coach all this time, knew that if Larry was had taken that job, something happened to Nate, but he said Nate is making the switch to tight ends. So that means Zach Grant was making the move to wide receivers. So that let, so then that immediately hit us and the fact that, okay, where the heck and what the heck happened to Mark Watson, who has been instrumental in recruiting for us, at that position, at in general, we know all of our coaches go around the country. Mark Watson is phenomenal in the St. Louis area. And then we found out that he took a job as the running backs coach at Kent State. We found it on this article. It says it on his profile, on Twitter. And we were honestly, I was devastated in the moment because of how important Mark Watson's been. You know, we get Alan Middleton because of a Mark Watson. 
We get Cameron White because of a Mark Watson. So he's just done an amazing job. And then we find out he's gone, which is awful. And then you, you know, awful. It's a great opportunity for him. If he's getting paid more, but he's going to be the running backs coach, great for him. Just how important he was to us, especially in recruiting. So then we see all this. So Zach Grant moves to receivers. Nate Griffin moves from running backs to tight ends. And that's where the legend Larry Warner comes in for running backs, which no one I love this move because not only was it a guy – that was a first-team Associated Press All-American at only five foot six, doing everything he he did and being an all-time great. I mean, just the fact you know he's been on staffs. He's coached at Central Arkansas running backs coach, South Alabama's Arkansas Pine Bluff. I mean, that's what he's been doing race at least recently and being a running backs coach. And Nick Hill said, "quote uh, He was the first person I called when a spot opened up on my staff." Uh, he said he's a close friend and he shares the same core values and passion for our program. You're not going to find anybody that has more energy than Larry, end quote. So, uh, you know, when he began his coaching career at Carbondale High School in 2009, before he joined Dale Lennon's staff as a grad assistant in 11, before he joined, he joined Nick at Carbondale when Nick was there for that one season when he was assistant for him. So there's been a lot of back and forth with him and obviously with Nick and everything, but they're reunited here and we, we love it. It's going to do great things for whoever's back in the backfield. We know LaShawn Lester, we know guys, uh, you know, the, we didn't have a whole lot of running backs that all sit out this past year. Uh, Sean was part of that class, but he got to play. So it's going to be his backfield with Romere and uh, Justin Strong. Maybe we know, you know, some other guys are gone and I'll get to that. So welcome, Larry. Welcome, Zach Grant. Nate Griffin making the move. And happy retirement to Pat Poor. So now let's get to the biggest news of all. Which Actually, first, I'll get to this. Bo Brandon, who we knew had eligibility, leaving for the draft. That was surprising. Bo's been our best lineman for a while. Expecting him to be back next year, but now he's not. He's entering the draft. We remember saying at the draft this past year, Bo was tweeting how he was going to be picked this year. And you know, up and down for him, but like I said, he was probably still our best one. Uh, he's he's flexible; he can go anywhere. So whether he gets drafted or not, he's trying to go to the next level. So we appreciate that. Good luck to Bo. We're gonna miss you on this line. Uh, but the biggest one of all, by far, as we know, about about two weeks ago, found out about one of the biggest news we can remember in a long time when we knew he had eligibility left, and that is Javon Williams entering the 2023 NFL Draft. Came as a surprise, as we said, we we knew he had eligibility left, but he, you know, we there was a big five minute video that they posted about him, and he talked to Mike, and um, just a special, you know, special feeling in the moment. You know, he had a special, special career here. We talked about how he was honestly better at the start of his career. He's dealt with injuries, and this year he was kind of up and down. There are moments where we, you know, didn't like certain calls with him. Uh, you know, he, he, in the read option, he never handed it off. He always kept it for himself. That killed us at certain points, but we know he's an all-time great. He had so many great moments for us. He was, you know, arguably our pound for pound, our best overall player on the team. Just a special, special career Javon had. So we were kind of blindsided by this, knowing he had eligibility. And he talked to Mike about, you know, he knew he had eligibility. He, you know, he talked to Nick about it. And then honestly, because he, he said he was talking to Landon Lenore, Bryce, no tree guys that were left last year, you know, for pro aspirations. And he talked to them and they were able to convince him like, yeah, man, you did all you can do there, but it's time. And, um, you know, Javon 
He did. I mean, it says here on the app he helped he helped the program return to the national stage and our and our back to back playoff appearances here in multiple All American and All Conference awards. Uh, you know, and I mentioned you know him coming from Centralia, the local kid. That's what we said in our tweet. You know, he paved the way for local kids in Southern Illinois to know that you can come to SIU and be a, and be a transcendent program talent. Uh, you know, he's one of a kind, but, you know, because we talk about all the time, you want to keep guys in your backyard. We're able to do that still a little bit. But nobody, honestly, will have the kind of legacy that Javon left locally. Uh, you know, and he's even talked to Mike about, you know, because he still thinks, and it's funny because he said when he got here, he was, you know, Sam Straub was quarterback, and then Nick came on they were around the same time. And, he was, you know, and Javon was always trying to, test him on who threw the furthest and because he always prided himself in the deep ball and he said he always loved throwing the deep ball and you know wondered because Mike was asking him about if he would have stayed at quarterback and he, and, he, and he wonders about it but then he knew the conversion would help him obviously that it did and we even questioned what he could have been if he stayed at quarterback and even we were talking about if he came back this year I think tight end makes perfect sense Javon's arguably got the best hands on the team it's all makes some huge catches. He's got the size of a tight end. He's got kind of, you know, his speed's declined, but it's kind of like tight end speed. We know we can block. I thought he could have honestly had a really good season for us if he tried at tight end. Uh, but obviously, you know, was not the case, and he's making the leap. And honestly, it's, it's weird because we heard from somebody recently that he was a parent, and I've been able to find it, but, you know, we'll believe the person that told Noah and I that Mel Kuyper Jr. had him on top five, top ten, big board of fullbacks. So do we know Javon can have with his size can have a career as a fullback potentially, you know, it's going to be hard for him to get drafted as a runner. It's going to be hard for him to get drafted at all, as we know. Uh, but it's, it's awesome seeing that he has the spirit to want to play for the NFL. We know there's so many other avenues, the XFL starting up soon. We know that's where, uh, uh, going. So, and we know there's so many other different leagues that Javon can find himself in, but we know he's talented enough to maybe be in the NFL, but you know, because how important special teams is at that level, practice squad players, he could be at that, but you know, his skill set doesn't really translate in the moment. We know he was preseason senior bowl watch list, so he didn't really live up to that. So people know about him, so we'll see if he can do anything in any of these games in any of these uh, you know, types of things that could help him get to that level. Obviously we'll be cheering for him. Like I said, all time career he had here, he's on all the lists, he's gonna end up being a Suki Hall of Famer one day, zero doubts about it. Uh, it just kind of came as a surprise because we knew we had eligibility, and as long as he's here, we'll have a chance to win. And that's where it kind of stinks because um, even though we said, you know, his style of play, the way he's playing for us, you know, maybe it could be better without him at times, and we could take off more. And it's not, and it's not really selfish ball, but it's more of just kind of spreading it around, not being so one dimensional a lot of the time. And it's, you know, he even mentioned with Mike about some things that he had to deal with with fans, but I didn't really know what he was talking about. I think he was talking about how maybe them talk about how, you know, he's ruining us, you know, ruining plays, ruining games at times, but he just mentioned more of on the good end of it that uh, fans wanted him to have the ball more. So he was leading that to be like a bad thing, but it ended up being, well, of course that's a good thing. You know, players wanted you to have more carries and even he said one of the carries and we know he, he'd had the four years his his true freshman year, got the red shirt and he said he wanted to play more. So there's some frustrations early on in his career and everything he's done to this point, as everybody knows, and as we know, has just been transcendent as, as we've said. So it paves the way for young, for uh, local kids, paves the way for anybody in general to come here, change, 
change how you play and maybe it can work out for you for the best and can build you into an all-time career because that that is right he he helped turn this program around and put it back on the national stage so we couldn't thank Javon more I wanted to talk a lot about him because it's a special time that he you know gave this program and um, you know he did he very well left a legacy and we'll be following his career is everything that we hear about uh, you know from here on out and we know he's going to have the effort. He's going to have the determination and the drive to go do all that. So we'll be we'll be with him every step of the way. As as long as we can follow him, it'll be important for Javon Williams. So Javon Williams, the legend, leaving for the NFL draft. I mentioned Bo Brannion. So those are two surprising ones, as I mentioned. The coaching carousel has been kind of crazy. And to end up this coaching carousel, which is actually one I forgot, but I'll end it because it is the most recent news. Jason Petrino, we know our defensive coordinator. There are stories out that are end up be going on it on him at some point. Taking the North Dakota State defensive coordinator job. You know, came as a surprise because we, you know, when we're going to basketball games, the recent game they had home, it was like a football night where football players were running the concessions and doing everything. And it's funny because Nick Baker was doing dipping dots. And so a lot of the football players were there. Good to see. And next, and I saw Jason Petrino on the concourse. And next thing you know, he's the DC at North Dakota state. And it's honestly shocking. Cause that's, that's a big deal. That's a powerhouse job. We were talking about, you know, defensive coordinator can get paid as much as Nick Hill is as a head coach. So you're not going to turn down that job. And we're glad Jason's taking that job because it's best thing for him. And we know he's done amazing things for us as a coordinator here under Nick for all this time. And, uh, you know, that's now a spot we have to fill as well. And I mentioned on the tweet, besides November 11th, when we go at the Fargo Dome, we wish you luck otherwise. So it's a crazy out of nowhere thing that he gets to go there. We know and I talked about how it's nice to be at the, that we'll be able to have something fresh and kind of like, you know, We'll miss you to an extent, but not really. So it's interesting how North Dakota State, who prides themselves as being that program on both sides of the ball, they'd have a Petrino. Maybe they just thought really highly of him. So great opportunity for him. Of course, he stays in conference. You can't pass down a job like that. So big news there. So we'll have to fill that defensive coordinator's role, whoever that'll be. So we're already flip-flopping around. We know Dan Clark for right now staying at offensive line. Dalman Gibson's done a phenomenal job on defensive line and special teams. Uh, Mac McLaren, linebackers coach, did a great job. I think he could be an internal option for defensive coordinator as well. And then you got Antonio, uh, uh, what's his name? Antonio, sorry for forgetting his name off the top of my head. We know he's a defensive lines coach as well. So a lot of these guys are recruiting, doing still great things. Saw Zach Grant on the road recently. So we know Nick Hill always preached about having a legit, like, uh, Division One caliber staff. And he's replaced guys for that. I don't know if he expected some of these guys to leave, but he always said he's going to, I think he did say once, he's always going to tell his staff to take good jobs and whatever's best for them. And he'll just replace on the fly and hoping Zach and Larry and, and Nate making the move uh, from running backs to tight ends can do a good job. We're hoping that they all will do that. So Outside of that, before I get into players that have left in the portal, I'll get to one that has stayed, and this was actually one that I forgot to mention because he was at that football night I mentioned. He led us in receiving yards this year for his seventh season in college. Deontay Cox is returning, and you know Noah will talk about the guys that we've added, along with a healthy Isaiah Hartrup. We were thinking uh, receiver's going to be iffy next year with Isaiah leading the way. 
but you know, it was in Deontay and Nick said that in his, uh, in his uh, press conference, when he talked about the recruits and the transfers, uh, he mentioned that Deontay will be back and it's in the end of season presser. He joked with Mike about the potential of it, but we kind of shook it off and then it got confirmed and it's like, whoa, okay, there's our number one guy. Isaiah is going to get back healthy. Phil in as the number two guy. Deontay's a game changer. Him and Nick's relationship's great. That changes a lot for next season. It's Deontay Cox returning. So that's one of the biggest news, along with the coaching carousel, Javon leaving, everything that's happened postseason so far. So a lot has happened, and honestly, we're ready. To, we're already flipping the script from how up and down that season was and looking ahead for a lot of crazy stuff that has happened. So I mentioned uh, guys that are left in the portal. Zade Hamden, who never played with us, was hurt, was here from the get-go, excited about him. We know he came from James Madison and Ohio State. He's leaving. Haven't seen where he's gone yet. He's just he was posting the tape from spring camp and stuff. So it's unfortunate we never get to see him. That's a guy we know we can replace, but it's unfortunate we never got to see him play. Uh, Levi McAfee, who we know barely played in his career here in the two or three years, he left and he is at Val- Valdosta State. We noticed that all of a sudden came out of nowhere. He's gone. Kenichi Chandler entered the portal. Uh, and then Pop Jones, which we saw a lot of pop at the end of the season. Special teams doing a lot in the running game. Interesting. Saw him leave, but that was before we found out some other guys that we added that Noah will talk about. Uh, but that was interesting because he became a really good special teamer. But like I said, guys that we added will be better special teamers and in the backfield. So good luck to Pop. We know he sat a lot, dealt with injuries. Um, so now he'll go get a chance somewhere good, hopefully. And then TJ Atkins. Leaving, obviously a receiver in our room, played defensive back at times, and I'm thinking of other guys, but TJ Atkins was a receiver, a special teamer. Um, he's trying to find a new home. And then Raheem Rowe entered the portal. I think he was the first one to leave. Him and Kinesia Chandler were the first couple to leave. So that's it, really. So far, no one really that notable. Like I said, never saw Zade play. Pop Jones, I guess, is the most notable. Levi McAfee he claimed to be a three-star, never got on the field. So uh, nothing too notable there yet, which is a good sign. We know it can be sporadic in terms of who's entering, but there was kind of a window there, and we haven't had anybody enter since. So it's a good sign, I suppose. And uh, I mentioned, you know, February signing day. Usually when we get more transfers, usually when we get, you know, a lot better eye on a lot of stuff, the transfer portal is still rolling, as we know. Uh, and then quickly I'll talk about uh, – if I were to, you know, send, you know, talk about what the Salukis who have already left have been doing, uh, you know, there's been a lot of like George Douglas was in the Dream Bowl, the Dream Big Dream Bowl 2023. I think played pretty well. They gave him like a little small Lombardi Trophy. Jacob Garrett was an All American, the first fullback in school history to be named an FCS All American. That has happened recently. A lot of guys tweet. But here's the tweet right here from the 19th of January. It was great to have SLU football well represented at the 2023 College Gridiron Showcase, which obviously uh, showcased a lot for the next level. And Keenan was there, Avante, Jacob Garrett, and a healthy Tyce Daniel. So all four of those guys making mark. We, we did see a tweet about Avante, about how awesome he had been doing in some of those uh, drills. Here it is right here. He was a standout in the showcase. Uh, CBS Sports' Emery Hunt said, quote, outside of thriving in the one-on-ones, he really excelled in the seven-on-seven periods, showing a complete understanding of zone coverage and reading it well on the fly, end quote. Obviously fantastic. 
And that's what we'd love to see from Avante, knowing he can do that at the next level. Hoping we can see him in the NFL. That's the kind of speed and skill set with those great with the great skill set, great hands that he's got, that can play at the next level. Hoping that he does. So it's good to see all these guys already making moves towards the NFL level and showing out in this showcase. You know, we always want to have guys fight for fight like hell for shots and we'll forever follow these guys as long as their careers happen. We try to follow the guys from last year. Some guys made it, some guys didn't. And we try to keep up with it as much as we can, finding out about it. So some other things here real fast. We did see uh, there was a a guy that works for Riddle Sports uh, was there recently, just a couple days ago, getting helmets fitted for next season. We know I think the team and college football have been trying to go towards newer helmets, so they had those fitted just the other day. Uh, Suki Equipment was posting about new some new hats and new gear we'll have for next year. Uh, just a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff going on. They're hiring, I think, other staff members and. Tons of things. So there's still a lot to cover. Uh, you know, Gridiron Crew and a lot of other like draft diamonds are posting about guys as well. So that's everything that's happened postseason. So I wanted to dive into that season, talk about everything about Salukis and who's leaving, you know, all these coaching moves and everything. Uh, so that's all I got for you guys today. Hope you enjoyed the recap. Like I said, sorry it was two months, you know, past the end of the season, kind of pushed off a little bit. And there's so much to talk about when we put it off and, you know, accumulate so many things over the course of that time. But hopefully I did a good job for you guys. If you guys are willing to listen, uh, we will have pods this off season as time goes on, you know, through this great basketball season, we'll try to fit in some. I mentioned Noah will have his at some point here soon uh, regarding a lot of stuff, but we want to thank you guys for listening once again, following our tweets, everything for this season. We, like I said, roller coaster, but it was fun. Got to go to a lot of road games, got to experience a lot of good home games, and just another fun season doing the podcast. And it's our it's our third official season doing it uh, in like two years, two, two years, three seasons of football. So it's been fun. And, you know, one of those seasons, you know, you wanted to sustain, you couldn't get the job done, but it is what it is. Already looking for, already two months into the offseason, and a lot has happened. So we're already got the the script flipped for next season. So uh, looking to bounce back off this season for next year, and we'll dive into more as time goes on about what the team could look like, who's new on the team, who's left by that chance. I kind of dove into a little bit of it. But again, Noah will have a pod discussing uh, high schoolers, more offers, all the guys from 2023 class that are coming in, incoming freshmen, what they, how they officially ended their season. He'll go through those again. He'll go through all the transfers we've landed since the season ended. A lot of good ones to add to this staff with, I mentioned, Deontay Cox is the biggest news that is returning. Javon Williams, the biggest news that is exiting, like I said, along with the coaches. So it's been a special season. Looking forward to having more off-season episodes for you guys to hear. Like I said, keep an eye out for Noah's episodes here soon. And shortly after that, we'll talk about everything to that point and how these transfers and freshmen will fit in to next season. I would say it would be here before we know it, but we know these off seasons for football take a very, very long time. So if you guys, if you guys don't do either follow us on dogs basketball, we have podcasts and tweet that as well. That's where our, all of our focus will be, but we would sure to get these pods out to you here soon. So again, Signing off on the 2022 football season. This was Nick Ballone, usually joined by Noah Lurch. We appreciate all you guys. Until next time, until until soon with more episodes, go dogs.